It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on Talent Talk. As we have, well, we have an interesting day today, and I'll get to that in a minute. We're going to have just one guest uh, as we are dealing with some remarkable technology, unprecedented technology issues. But before I get to all of that and explain to you why Talent Talk is a little bit different today, uh, I want to thank you all for, for tuning in and kind of give you a little bit of rundown on what the show is and why the show is and kind of what maybe what we're trying to get out here. And usually ends up happening is I have the privilege of meeting uh, inspiring leaders and incredible people, whether it's at a conferences or shows or through LinkedIn or whatever it may be. And so we've brought them in here into this show to have you have the privilege of kind of hearing what they have to say. And I have the privilege of learning something from them. And then hopefully we, we can share that and, and get that into your head. So this show is really designed to give you an opportunity to listen in on those topics that we're talking about that we think are important and hopefully give you something that you can use down the road at work, at home, wherever it may be. So Talent Talk is live when we don't have technology problems, uh, here to, uh, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and can be accessed uh, on our podcast uh, on iTunes. You can also be heard on iHeartRadio. So through those two different platforms, we had over almost 600,000 of you come in and interact with at least one of our uh, past shows last week. So really excited about that. Uh, the numbers have really kind of been jumping recently. And a big thank you to everyone who's tuning in regularly uh, and participating and talking to us. So one of the cool places that we get to really interact with our our listeners is via Twitter. So if you want to send us a question, you have a suggestion, you have a cool guest you think we should talk to, you agree, you disagree with something we said on the show, feel free to um, enter in your comment and add the hashtag talent talk. And if you are able to add the at people G2 to kind of maximize our uh, chance to, to find your uh, your tweet there. So originally we had planned on having two guests on our show uh, right before the show was about to start. All of the internet and phones completely crashed in the entire building that we are located in today. And fortunately, we have our first guest live in the studio. And because the electricity is still working, we can record this and push it out our normal way that we do. We just won't be able to do it live today, which means our second guest who's going to be, would be calling in will not be able to be on the show because the phones aren't working. So we'll make do, we'll make it work, and we'll get a little bit longer time here to talk with uh, Jim a little bit more in depth. So my one and only guest today will be Jim Glantz, uh, Vice President and Head of Talent Development for the wonderful company. And we will certainly uh, want to apologize to Cynthia uh, Hedricks for the 
the issues, and we will get her back on. She's the chief analytics officer at SkillSurvey, really interested in learning more about what she's doing over there in their company, and we will get her rescheduled and back on the show when we have everything going up again. So let's go ahead and get to Jim. We're going to be talking to him at length. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself since we have a little extra time. Maybe you can start back from when you were a young boy. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, but kind of give us the, the history of, you know, kind of where you started in your career, maybe kind of how you ended up here at the wonderful company. Sure. Uh, I had an interesting start to the career. I, um, I was going to go to law school, and I worked as a paralegal with the Department of Justice for a year. And I met a lot of lawyers who seemed very unhappy. So I pulled my application from law school, um, and all that work on the LSATs went for naught. And I went back and got a Master's of Education at UCLA. Uh, I wound up teaching high school for a couple of years. And then I started looking for a career, and I just did informational interviews with people and tried to find careers out there that looked interesting. And I happened to fall into organizational development and got my doctorate in that field, and I've been working in that for 15 years now. So a lot of people that become teachers, my wife's a teacher and a lot of teachers, that once they get to become a teacher, then that's kind of what they do. So it's interesting to hear that you went and did all that work to become a teacher and then decided, well, then now for what be the second time, I'm going to do something else. So how did that look? I mean, what was sort of that process? Did you decide that maybe was teaching just a good good thing you wanted to do, like a stepping stone, or did you get there and, again, kind of that same revelation you did with being a lawyer and say, well, I mean, this is not quite it yet? I never wanted to be a teacher my whole life, but uh, I remembered the great teachers in my life, and I wanted Mm -hmm. to be that for somebody else. Um, And I did that for five years, and I I got some good feedback from the students, so I felt I'd accomplished that. And then I looked for something for myself. You know, teachers don't make any money. I was making a $32,000 $32,000 a year and living in a rent control apartment and working harder than I've ever worked in my life. So Right, yeah, it's it's tough. <laughs> we don't pay them enough, that's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And at least, that's a, at least you can always fall back on that, right? You have that as a, a fallback so. if all else fails. If I want to make $32,000 a year again. Right, well, that. it's a little bit better now than okay. thirty-two, But, yeah, I mean, I guess. Maybe if we retire one day, you can always go back and do a little teaching as if the itch ever ever came back. So maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the leadership programs that you developed at your time here um, as head of talent development. Sure. So I've been at the wonderful company for four years. We used to be called Roll Global. We do a lot of products. We're sort of the largest company that no one's ever heard of. Uh, we do pistachios, almonds, uh uh, citrus fruit, Palm Wonderful, Fiji water, mm-hmm. a lot of things when you when you know our products are all healthy, you know, great branded products. The company is developed as an entrepreneurial company. Linda and Stuart Resnick are the company owners, and they're very active in running the company. And uh, they started with nothing and built this great company. Uh, it's a $4 billion company now. In the last eight years, they've grown from $1 billion to $4 billion and from 2,500 wow. employees to 8,000 employees. Wow. That's quite a bit to undertake to go from just the pure revenue numbers were astonishing, and then you talk about going from twenty five hundred eight thousand employees. That that's a lot, <laughs> and and that's why sort of the leadership work that I've been doing it makes sense because people the scope of their jobs has increased sometimes three tenfold in their positions, multiple locations now they're running where they used to have two people reporting to them now they've got twenty five people, things like right. that, and they'd never done anything to sort of develop the leadership skills of of the employees until you know they kind of brought me on for that. And you could know nothing about how to manage people. 
and get away with it with one or two direct reports, right? Right. Because you can just sort of all get along and everything's okay. And, and yeah, right. But we, you go to 20. <laughs> you have to have some tools. <laughs> right. You've got to have some tools. You've got to have some knowledge. You can't just wing it anymore. So is that sort of what you're kind of actively working on then is to help them implement something consistent that works? Yeah, exactly. So now I've launched two leadership programs. One is the senior leadership program, which is every director and vice president of the company has now been trained in. It's a week-long program, four and a half days. People come in from all over the world. They fly in for the program. They stay at a hotel for the week, get to know everybody. There's really two purposes for the program. One is to build their leadership skills, but two is to increase this uh, collaboration and collaborative spirit in the company and sort of that connectedness or belongingness to the company. And why is that important? important for you guys. I mean, it sounds like an obvious goal, but why is that sort of the goal as a part of the program? I'll give you an example. So we do a lot of, obviously, agriculture business. We do everything from farming to packing to distributing and selling nuts and citrus. And we have two businesses that were side by side in the Central Valley. And the two directors came from the different businesses to the leadership academy. They became friends. Afterwards, they went back up to the valley and and, um, they have there's a piece of farming equipment. It's called an engine shredder. And the engine shredder has a, um, it basically vacuums up almonds from the floor. And it winds up picking up a lot of pebbles and rocks and things that get into the engine. Well, anyway, there's a hole to, to cool the engine down. And the problem is if the pebbles get in the engine, then it destroys the engine. So they have to create this mesh, this metal mesh that covers that hole. Long story, but the point is, one of the guys was the director of fabrication. He fabricates all sorts of equipment for the company. He never met the other guy that runs these engine shredders until they went to this academy together, and they went back and did a visit of his equipment shed. They started talking about it, and he said, well, how do you you make this metal mesh? And he said, oh, it's really expensive. We have to outsource it. We go to a vendor who creates it special for us. It takes a lot of time. It's a lot of money. And he's like, I can do that in my shop just down the road. It was one mile away. I can... I can create that mesh for you guys. It's simple. And that's the kind of collaboration that we want to see in the company now that we've right. gotten to be a sizable and we have these resources we could share with each other. Yeah, sort of bringing in resources in a very synergistic sort of way and being able to solve problems. You know, a lot of companies do interesting things like they'll have, you know, the people in accounting go sit in sales and people in sales go sit in customer service or whatever it may be for sort of the same reasons, right? That people with different skill sets and experiences suddenly come in and apply their talents to whatever's happening in that department and it sort of grows that cooperation and you get people to start thinking about each other, right? Instead of just, well, accounting's holding everything up and I want to get my sales in. You understand why they're doing it and how they're doing it and everything. Yeah, Yeah. that's one piece. Uh, Another piece is just you might have multiple accounting people or salespeople in different, uh, literally different businesses within our company and they've never met each other. And they have so much to share with each other. If they just get them together, mm-hmm. quality control people or accounting people or purchasing people, really taking advantage of economies of scale and working together, sort of where we're headed with, with, with the company now. So you, you named a few of the brands. I, I don't know if you can name them all at the top of your head, but what are some of the major ones that we certainly the listeners would recognize so we have you know full context here? Palm Wonderful. So you've, you've had the pomegranate juice in the market. It's the pricey pomegranate juice, but it's all 100% squeeze pomegranates so no filler or other it's kind, got of that kind of water. cool bottle if i remember right yeah, yeah it's the double bubble double bubble uh-huh. right i was gonna say the voluptuous bottle but okay yeah well the bottles and the packaging are really important linda does all the marketing for the company and the advertising they have an in-house advertising agency it's her brainchild this double bubble it's meant to look like two hearts stacked on top of each other ah, okay because pomegranate juice is good for the heart there you go. So Very clever. Yeah. All right. Or Fiji Water is a square bottle. And this bottling process, we have to 
create our own bottling facilities just to create the bottles that Linda wants. There's no other vendor that can do that for us. So. You know, I love and hate the Fiji bottle because it's so distinctive, right? And I think for probably the retailers, it stacks so nicely. You're talking about cup holders, right? But cup holders! I know, I know. We have a new 700 milliliter <laughs> we just came out with, and it fits perfectly in your cup holder. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like if it would morph, right? Like, it could somehow like be square in the store and then somehow morph when you get into it. But, I would have yeah. brought you a bottle of our new uh, 700. So. That's so funny. Yeah. But clearly, you've gotten that feedback before. So, yeah. All right, so we have Fiji, we have Palm, and you said uh, pistachios as well? Yeah, actually, uh, we grow 3 to 5% of California's almonds and 13 to 15% of California's pistachios. California is about 60% of the world's pistachios, so it's quite a large business in that regard. Yeah, and then uh, any other brands that we would sort of certainly recognize on a regular basis? Uh, Halos. Have you had the little clementine oranges in the market and the orange bag and the blue handle? You know, I was... Just visiting family up in Fresno, and I passed right by the Halo. You can't miss that giant, you know, sort of box. Yeah, it's like a giant. It's a box, right? But I mean, you have the whole cartoon, and you can, yeah, you can see it for sure. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah, you can like literally like everything I see and buy at Costco. So, well, it's all healthy, so you, you must right. eat well. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I buy it. I don't know if I always eat it, but okay. I buy it. <laughs> and any other brands? You know, we have some others uh, like um, you might not have heard of Stuart, for example. He's the owner. He doesn't like to pay for outside services. So, for example, when, you know, Fiji water is bottled in Fiji, of course, and we were using Neptune shipping to ship our water around the world, Stuart got fed up with having to pay their rates, so he bought Neptune shipping. So now right. we're in the shipping business, uh, and I think we're the largest, one of the largest shippers in the world. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. So you have all these different brands, and then, so you go from a company that probably started off here, but then now you have international fields, so you have... Mm-hmm. Your regional differences. It sounds like you have companies that are going to have differences in how they may operate. And then you have cultural differences now, right? So you have people all around the world. So is that any part of what you're also trying to, to deal with uh, on a regular basis? Cultural thing is interesting. You know, I have my doctorate in organizational psychology, organizational development, what have you. And we took a lot of classes on cultural differences and the importance of adjusting for cultures. Did a leadership academy recently uh, in March in Shanghai. Before we were going out there, we were teaching our salespeople, our purchasing people out there in, in the academy. People were asking me, well, are you going to change the curriculum and make it different so it's more palatable for Chinese culture or people from Hong Kong or Taiwan? And I thought about it really hard. I you know, thought of all the, the literature that I had read on that topic, and then I just landed on, no, I'm not going to change it one bit. I'm going to do it exactly the same way we did it in Los Angeles. And that's what we did, and it turned out fantastic. They really loved it. Well, if, if you're doing it well, I would assume, then it should should apply pretty well you know, across the board, right? If you do it sort of, eh, it's an okay program, take an okay program and take it somewhere else, it's not going to work. It seems like you have a quality leadership development program. Was it difficult to actually implement it in, into there? Was that a part of the challenge? Well, one of the challenges we had was it had been tried before and had failed. Uh, That's usually the worst. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The worst. Coming in and was like, yeah, we've done that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. My boss is the CFO. He reports to Stuart. And Stuart said, we could try it, see if Jim can do it. And, um, you know, we'll give him a couple times and see how the reaction is. And that was the charter that I had to work with. Right. Fortunately, it went very well and uh, got a lot of great feedback back to Stuart right off the bat. And now we've been up and running for two and a half years, and we don't see any end. We're, now we're, we're moving toward a sales leadership academy is going to be next. So This is fascinating stuff. Uh, we're here with Jim Glantz with The Wonderful Company, and we are going to be right back after our first commercial break. 
Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. All right, we're back here with uh, Jim Glenn, the Vice President and Head of Talent Development for The Wonderful Company. We've been talking to him about all of the for lack of a better word, the wonderful things they're doing over there at their company and really dealing with all their different brands and initiatives and trying to tie that into great leadership and development for their people. And one of the things that you said about is that you deeply care about developing the potential of those around you. So what do you see as a few of those kind of key things to really helping people unlock the potential that they already have? Look, uh, that, that's a tough one because it's, it really depends. You know, I'm sure there are other people listening to this podcast that have even more experience developing people. I would say a land on be genuine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think genuinity is the key to leadership. The other thing I would say is be an effective leader. Don't try to be a nice leader. And I think too often we're taught these days in the business environment you're supposed to be nice, ask nicely, always be respectful, of course. But doesn't mean you have to always be nice. Sometimes you have to give tough feedback. You have to hold people accountable. You're not always going to feel great about your job because you have to do that. That's why you've gotten promoted to be a leader. Yeah, I remember reading the book in high school. Was a, no, it was high school or college, but Death of a Salesman. And like the whole Willie Loman story just really stuck out at me. And the, the, the kind of fundamental thing of, do you want to be liked or do you want to be respected? Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of goes back to what you're talking about here, right? If you're going to be an effective leader, you want to do those things that are going to get you're going to be respected by those that you manage, those that are above you, the organization in general. I mean, sometimes you have to do things that people aren't going to like, make decisions and, and be truthful and be genuine about those things. And I always wonder if, you know, so the way our technology and social media and everything goes is, are we starting to push more to wanting people generally sort of being programmed to want to being liked, right? No, totally want to land on that as a Facebook problem, but just being liked in general, right, as opposed to being respected. Do you see any any differences kind of generationally in your organization on, on how effective people are, or is it just, you know, whether they're experienced or non-experienced at leadership? Well, uh, you know, generationally, I haven't thought about it in that, that context. Um, and everybody has the Gen Xers or this, Gen Yers or that. I try to stay away from those stereotypes as much as I can just because, you wind up going with preconceived notions when you're talking to people that may be very different than that. Sure. So I've met some 28-year-olds who are tough as nails and working hard and some 50-year-olds who are kind of soft. And <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But I do think there's something in the ether about being nice these days, and I think it takes away a little bit from effectiveness. And one of the things about having Stuart as a, as a boss, and Linda too, to, to some extent, is what Stuart says is you might have to fire somebody, because they're not performing well or up to your standards, but it doesn't mean it's bad for them. Oftentimes, that's the best thing for them is to find that other job and they're you know, happy in that new role or 
or maybe they, they want a job that's a little more relaxed, not as much high pressure, and they should find a company that is okay with that. And I've worked for companies like that, too. Our company is just not that way. We're sort of a survive or, you know, work hard and, and right. you know, and if you, and if you don't, you're going to be short-lived. But if you do, you get all the resources to do a great job. And, and like, for example, in two and a half years, I've built several leadership programs with Ken Blanchard Company that have been, you know, really successful. And we built out a whole leadership academy room. And the resources come pouring in when you, when you do something very well. Yeah, and, and, you know, you guys are really looking at, you, you mentioned earlier, entrepreneurial organization, and so that kind of stuck out to me. So, and that, with what you're talking about, about, well, I guess I'm going to use my own words to describe what you said, sort of a sink or swim situation, right? you yeah. got to go in there, and you're going to have to make it happen, or it may not be the right organization for you. So, do you feel like that is, with that entrepreneurial spirit, they need to come in, and people need to be self-motivated, self-starters, want to want to get in there and get stuff done, and not sit around and wait for people to tell them what to do? Is that kind of how your organization operates? So, traditionally, Stuart's style is to build independent businesses and he runs them all but they all report to him but they're all sort of run a bit independently so for example the president of our fiji water business unit doesn't interact that much with the president of our citrus business unit doesn't interact that much with the president of our nuts business unit each one of those is is sort of a distinct business and Mm -hmm. each president is considered almost the ceo of that business and Stuart likes that he likes to keep that that entrepreneurial spirit going um and i think that's kind of become part of the it's part of the ether of the culture of our of our company is uh you know working hard making stuff happen coming up with new ideas implementing them you might make a little mistake but own it and try again when it sounds like some of the things you're doing are helping bridge that gap so certainly get some benefits by keeping them separate and letting them have their each their own thing it sounds like you're bridging some of those gaps with cooperation because that can be one of those negatives are there other sort of natural negatives that you guys are sort of having to play defense against sometimes with having these different separate companies? Well, like shared services is often a difficult one, you know, because let's say we just rolled out, uh, you know, a certain software uh, to the company and it, you know, runs all of our HR and finance systems and whatnot. Well, that was a very difficult process because you have to align incentives at the senior level around the effective implementation of that software, for example. If you don't, people are incented to run their business. So shared services becomes a distraction from your goal, mm-hmm. which is what you're getting your bonus on is the success of that business. Right. So you sort of add in other types of levers and, and things to make sure that at the top that they're really motivated to do that. It's be really difficult because the accounting platform for your net business might be different than the one that would work well for the citrus business. It was different, yeah. Yeah, and then then the shipping business, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. and see, to make those decisions, is it better for us to have one overall system that everybody uses, or is it better to let them each have their own independent system that's maybe more specialized, but you're not making the cost savings and the uniformity and reporting and all those other things, right? I mean, that could be a really big challenge. It is, and then how much can you, how much change can you roll into the business at one time? So you... Right. I have to layer it in. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you're looking at all these different things, um, and I know you're, again, you're trying to get that cooperation there, but do you have any difficulty in making sure that you have a shared vision, you know, especially at the leadership area within the company? It is a challenge, um, and I think what we did successfully, you know, I have, a, I have a very good boss. He's the CFO of the company. He's very well respected, and he's able to kind of log roll tough leaders into 
like getting them to show up to our steering committee meeting, for example, or the leadership steering committee that, we, that I put together. So his job is make sure everyone comes, they support it, they're there. And then my job is to make sure they're engaged, they're into it, they're part of the visioning activity, you know, that they're part of developing what is the leadership style um, that we want to teach to all of our employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been a good sort of duo there in that regard, and, uh, and, that, and that's worked very well so far. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are having some uh, definitely some success at that. And do you feel like you have met your goal of where you would want it? If you you know, look back from when you started, are you at a place where you feel like you where you should be? Are you ahead? Are you behind? Where, where, do, where do you kind of gauge yourself in that? I would say we're ahead in terms of what we thought of originally, but right. I, I would say I'm behind in terms of the follow up and sustaining the training um, and and continuing to keep pushing the gas pedal down to make sure people are using the tools that we've taught and that kind of thing. We've done a lot around that, but I don't think enough. And frankly, I just don't have the resources uh, in many cases to to make that happen. But we're getting there. We also rolled out an engagement survey for the company, and that's been very helpful. Now all the leaders are taking the results, and they're rolling it out to their teams, and they're doing action planning. And that incorporates some of the leadership skills that they uh, learned in the academy. So that does help to follow it up. But I know probably every training and development person out there listening would say, yeah, that's the biggest challenge. Right. Yeah. And so engagement surveys are an interesting one. Are you able to share kind of how you guys operate that? How, how, how does that implemented? Sure. We did it. Similar to the Leadership Academy, we, we had a steering committee for the engagement survey. Um, we had all the business unit presidents at the steering committee. They helped. We did an RFP. They helped select the vendor. Uh, so they've been a part of the vision from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I positioned it as, look, this is another leadership program. It happens to be through a survey. But the goal is to get leaders to talk with their staffs and do continuous improvement with their staffs in the culture or people space. Right. And then is that something that do the employees interact with that survey yearly, quarterly? I mean, how often does that happen? It's every other year. Okay. Yeah. We were going to do a pulse survey every off year, but uh, it's a lot of work. It can be distracting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you have to really take it. The approach is really specific for every company. And we, we sort of, that, we're the complete opposite, right? We do one question once a week. Huh, that's interesting. And so we get, you know, micro kind of feedback from how, where people are struggling or not, and then we can make micro changes. Of course, with the organization, we're not as big as you guys are. So, <laughs> right, try that with 8,000 so, people. Right, so it's a little yeah. bit different. But, but it's I an mean, interesting idea. But, yeah, I mean, and so I have seen it done at that level, but they do it departmentally, right? The questions mm-hmm. are very specific to that leader with their team and all that. Yeah, I don't think you're, you know, the owner of your company would be sending out one question to 8,000 employees. It'd be really hard to digest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great idea. I've never heard that. That's yeah, that's yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do. So yeah. I, I, for me, it works because that's our entrepreneurial thing. It's great. They're having a problem here. I can fix that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I get the team together, we can we can change that. And because if it's once a year, then I feel like well. It takes us three months to digest the information, then it takes us another three months to actually do anything about it, and the next thing you know, it's been a year and a half, and for us, you know, is it is that too long for people to be, to have their problem unaddressed, mm-hmm. or to find that thing that everyone's been stuck with that they didn't bother to tell anybody? <laughs> yeah, well, we hope that they're not just talking with their staff every other year, but right. uh, <laughs> it's just a reminder to do so, yeah. Right. I think I have done here from my notes uh, from our producer that, you know, with your former company, you had created kind of first employee engagement survey. What did you learn from that survey that kind of pushed new initiatives forward uh, for the company as it pertained to employee engagement? 
Yeah, my last company, I did um, their first employee engagement survey. Actually, this company, too, is their first employee engagement survey. And I did my doctoral dissertation on employee engagement surveys. So I, I called it, I think, um, from RFP to ROI or something like that. Right. You know, very catchy in business language. Thank you very much. There you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be kind of a workbook. I was thinking, how can I make it as useful and not, like, doctoral dissertation-y right. as possible. Um, so I kind of walk people through, here are the questions to, to ask, here are the things to look for, here are the challenges, step-by-step step through that, and tried to capture that as best I could for people. And actually, I got contacted by uh, the folks up at LinkedIn to talk about my dissertation. They had downloaded it somehow, and they, were, they had questions about it, which... I was shocked. Who's ever heard of somebody downloading your dissertation? So right, yeah. they must have done a search or something. And yeah, right. you use the right words, right? That's that's interesting. <laughs> so you know, one of our kind of favorite things to talk about and to ask our guests about is is about books. And so I'm wondering if there's a book that you're reading right now or read recently that you might uh, share with us and if, if suggest that we read. There is. So I have to give a um, a shout out to my former boss, who uh, her name is Pat Waters. She's the CHRO of LinkedIn. She gave me this book. She had gone to a conference. It's called Taming Your Gremlin, and the book is about trying to. Everybody's got a critical voice in their mind. Some something criticizing you, what you do, how you're saying it, and it's trying to put a face to that critical voice. So that's the gremlin. For Pat, was interesting. They, they do an activity where you kind of meditate on that. And with the book, there's a seminar that goes along with it. And Pat, her critical voice was a stuffy boardroom with older white guys smoking cigars and just right. not listening to her and criticizing her and everything like that. And I thought that was so interesting because as a, as a man, I'm not – that scenario doesn't bother me. But there are other scenarios that bother me. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you find your own gremlin and you begin to tame that gremlin when you can identify it and put a face to it. That's a really interesting concept. I mean, if you can kind of think about it that way, identify. Because I think a lot of people are sort of walking through their world, especially their business world, sort of you're not being very mindful, right? And so those things happen, and then they get really upset, or they have a negative interaction, and they're not really thinking about, well, why did I even get down that road? Why did I even end up in that place? Um, so it sounds like a really cool way to kind of think about how do you deal with that? Make sure you're prepared for it. You avoid it. If, I mean, we do a lot of this stuff in, in maybe personal therapy, right? If you in your personal life, but we don't think about it in business, right? And it's just important because as you're communicating something to a group, let's say you're doing a presentation, are you thinking they're smiling and listening to you and enjoying what you're saying, or are you thinking they're they're bored and they're not? You know, that's more inside of you than it is really what's going on externally. The other thing that I've been uh, getting into recently is um, what's called mindful meditation and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned being mindful, which I thought was interesting just a moment ago. And mindful meditation is paying attention to small details and spending a bunch of time with them. So, for example, we, we're doing um, a new training now. We're, you know, around that kind of concept and, and being more um, aware of everything around you. Right. I've sort of dived into many different variations of meditation, but the one that sort of I, know, I locked on to was there's this cool thing called a Muse headband. And you put it on and it connects to your iPhone and it measures your brain waves and so it sort of can it also gives you this auditory feedback of you could pick a scene, whether it's like a rainforest or a beach, but huh. it the louder it gets, the more distracted your brain is, the more you're sort of intense. So you can you can calm it because if you're meditating, you're like, I, was, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, am I even doing this right? <laughs> I mean, am I supposed to be having these random thoughts? Am I supposed to be thinking? Am I supposed to be not falling asleep? I mean, you know, and so it's kind of giving you this auditory feedback, and then it gives you the brain waves and all the, the signs of it. So it sort of helped me 
see, am I getting better? You know, am I having struggling that day? And it's amazing how you're having sort of an odd day. And then I go do this thing and it's like the wind, you know, in the desert sea won't shut up. It's just like howling, right? Because I'm overloaded. And so that helps kind of bring you back. So, but uh, certainly any meditation is, is, I haven't met anybody who hasn't been a pretty much a game changer for them. Well, what I got into it was originally um, I went to uh, the Unbeatable Mind seminar down in San Diego uh, that mm-hmm. taught by Navy SEALs. Uh, Mark Devine teaches this uh, seminar. And the Navy SEALs do a lot of meditation, believe it or not. They do deep breathing three times a day. They do meditation. And these guys aren't going to do that unless it works. They're right. not going to waste any time if they're in battle <laughs> doing meditation. But right. these are the best of the warriors because they're able to think, they're, be, they're able to be calm under fire, and they're able to plan out how they're going to go. And I think that's just as relevant in business. If you could employ those uh, techniques and you could be the calm one in the room that's really just seeing where you all should be headed, you're adding that to the company. But if Navy SEALs are meditating three times a day, we, probably we all should be doing that, right? Agreed. I mean, <laughs> It's great to see these guys because they're like muscular, huge guys, right. but then they meditate and they do yoga and all. It's really yeah. interesting. They rip your head off, but yet they sit down yeah, and they're suddenly namaste. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we're almost here to the end uh, of our interview, and uh, I really appreciate uh, Jim being here with us and filling in our entire show since we had a little technical difficulty. It looks like the internet has slowly rolled back in as the show has moved on as we probably expected it would, but... One of the things we do like to kind of ask our guests is if someone was listening in and they were taking notes and they were maybe somewhat interested in what we were talking about today, is there something that you kind of wish they would have remembered or or take back with them as maybe sort of the one or two things they should really have have remembered from our conversation today? I mean, for me, it's it's, um, take the time to create a vision for what you want and and what success looks like in whatever you're doing. And, Mm -hmm. And if it's in the space of leadership, really... Think about that before you jump in and, and start implementing. Take long walks. Take your dog for a walk. Go on the beach. Spend a weekend in San Diego and relax. But really, that's important time um, because you'll be feasting on those those images and of what success looks like for a year to come. In our culture, it's not given enough, I think, credence, but that's you need to slow down and, and, and do that work. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We definitely don't. That's not something we talk about actively with people. I've heard it said a lot of different ways in a lot of different books, but you know, it's like go find your rock. You know, go find that place where you can go sit and think. And to your point earlier about you know, sometimes people need that to be fired, need to come. That's sometimes their opportunity to stop and think about what they really want to do with their lives. Otherwise, they're just running around, being busy, being you know, working, and not really you know, stopping to think about what's important or what they really want to do. So I think it's great advice. Really appreciate you. Uh, doing that. I really appreciate you being here uh, live in the studio um, and hopefully we can have you come back at some point give us an update on everything you're doing at the wonderful company. Maybe you'll have purchased uh, another great company or maybe you'll get tired of flying around and buy an airline or whatever else they've That's done, right? <laughs> and maybe we'll get to see the round bottle. As soon as I see the round Fiji bottle, I will buy it. I'm going to bring you the 700 milliliter. You'll like that one. All right. It fits in the cup holder. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, how can people learn more about the company if they're interested in working for you guys? Clearly, they can go buy your products, but if they're interested in learning more about the company or jobs or whatever maybe what's the best way for them to do that? Actually, uh, if you go to wonderful.com, we bought that domain uh, when we changed our name last year. That must have been expensive. All right. <laughs> it wasn't. Our whole ordeal has a whole other show to talk about. <laughs> um, or you can contact me at jim.glance at wonderful.com too. 
Well, fantastic, and it's G-L-A-N-T-Z, is that correct? That's right. If you can't figure out how to spell Jim, I don't know how to help you, but the last name you can give a little help with. So, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, that's about it for Talent Talk. Uh, next week, we will have uh, two great guests, uh, Michael McAllowitz, who's a repeating guest, uh, founder of Profit First Professionals and an author, and then Jeannie Akila, founder and CEO of Devon PR. So, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.